0: Everyone. You're wide awake still. Let me say it really is a tremendous joy to be back with you again uh, this morning in sunny Erdre. So so glad to be here. I came across Ross about this time last year, again, when preaching down the road in Ebenezer, and I said, "It's a while since you've been in Erdre, Baptist Church." I says, "Ross that's not my fault. And uh, so we're back again today and then over to Perth later on as well. So thank you so much, Andrew, for the warm welcome. Lovely to see so many of you here. One or two of you have said to me already, have we got any new books in the pipeline? Well, we have a new book just out just before Christmas entitled Five Marks of a Gospel Church. I'm sure many of you probably realize the word gospel is the buzzword among God's people in the third millennium. We talk about gospel people, gospel culture, Gospel programs, you name it, we append it with the word gospel. But the big question is, what is the DNA of a gospel church? And Paul answers that for us very effectively in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. So, we go through one Thessalonians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, highlighting five marks of a gospel church. Now, the bookshops will charge you 10.99. It's not worth that, but that's what they'll charge you. You get a signed copy today for a tenner. It's worth that. When I'm going to glory, you can flog it on an eBay and make a fortune. But there you are. It's available at the very end after the service this morning. Let me say it all, the profit from all the book sales will not make me rich, okay? Because back into the ministry, we're involved in reaching out to people globally with a wonderful message of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn to God's Word, shall we? I'm looking around for a clock, but I do not… That's all right. Don't feel you've (laughs) got… Keep it on your arm, my friend. Keep it on your arm. My wife says it doesn't make any difference. It's not a clock I need. It's a calendar, but… And I don't do one on my arm either, but I've got… No, no, don't don't panic. It's on the iPad. All right, so… Let's turn to God's Word, shall we? Turning to one of the Psalms, Psalm 139, Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite Psalms, and I'm sure for many of you, it's probably way up there, maybe not number one or even number two, but probably in your top 10 of your most loved and most often read Psalms, how meaningful, how precious it certainly is. And so, our heartbeat this morning is to discover a little bit more about God, about who God is. And as you see on the screen, here is a God who is infinite, and that He is. But He's not only infinite, He's a God who comes ever so near, up close, and is intimate. Let's read together, shall we? Psalm 139. O Lord, You have searched me, and You know me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And there we finish, and we pray God's blessing on His Word again this morning. I'm sure many of you probably realize this lovely Psalm was penned by David. Sometimes we refer to him as the shepherd king or even as the sweet Psalmist of Israel. And if you know anything about the life of our friend David, you'll realize this fellow had a share of ups and downs. Many, many months spent in the mountaintop, many, many months spent down there in a dark, lonesome valley. And it would seem that when you take a look at the life of David, this fellow has had the best of times, but has also had the worst of times. And then I turn and I read what he says down there in verse 12. He says, To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are both alike to you. What does it mean? It seems to me that David is telling us right here, who God really is. And when God reveals himself to his servant in his hour of greatest need, David doesn't do a runner. He just picks up the quill, writes these beautiful words on the parchment. Why does he do it? Well, these are fairly upbeat words, aren't they? Basically, he wants to brighten your day and add a sparkle to mine as well. He wants to cheer us up, as it were, on the journey of life. He wants to tell us, and we need to be reminded, don't we, that your God and mine, like His God, is a God who is bigger than all our problems. You see, dear friends, for every one of us today, it makes a world of difference when we see God in His true colors. And I just think there's a danger that we all face from time to time. We try to downsize God. What do I mean? Well, we want to bring God down to our level. We want him to fit, as it were, into a wee pigeonhole of our own making. Maybe some of us gathered here this morning are falling into the trap of dumbing down God. If we are, this Sam will get us back on the right track. In a nutshell, the Sam is David is yelling at the top of his voice Hey, folks. I want you to think big thoughts about God. For that's what this psalm is all about. It's all about God. From start to finish, the spotlight is shining exclusively on Him. He is there in every single verse. I mean, you read the psalm this afternoon at your leisure, and you can't miss seeing the Lord. We stand in awe of Him. And so the question people are often asking today is this: If I met God downtown, in the shopping mall somewhere, what does God look like? How would I really know it was Him? It reminds me of a story I heard a little while ago. But we Johnny, and if your name's Johnny, my apologies, but this wee fellow was called Johnny. He found himself in Sunday school, and sometimes, as boys and girls are, Johnny was just a little bit bored. Now, instead of listening to what the teacher was teaching about the Bible, do you know what Johnny was doing? He had a pen and paper, doodling on a wee bit of paper, drawing a picture of something. The teacher happened to notice that he wasn't paying full attention. And so she went over to where wee Johnny was, and she even asked him a question. He says, Johnny, what are you doing? What are you drawing? And Johnny replied ever so quickly, I'm drawing a picture of God. Now, you can imagine the teacher was taken aback, but when she finally caught her breath and regained her composure, she said to Johnny, but hey, Johnny, no one knows what God even looks like. Quicker, second time around, Johnny said to her, well, miss, they will when I get done. That's a good story. I think that's a good story, but that's exactly what you have right here in Psalm 139. It's a picture of what God looks like. And if you listen, as I was reading through this psalm this morning, you notice we paused after every half dozen verses. So in this particular psalm, there are four distinct stanzas, four things that God wants you and me to know about himself. And the first one is found in verses one verse 6. It's a reminder that God's perception is astonishing. His perception is astonishing. You know, if I were to put that ever so simply today, do you know what it means, and I said reverently, that your God and mine is a know-all he's a know-all. In other words, in your life and mine, there is absolutely nothing that God doesn't know. There is nothing in your life and mine right now that our God is not aware of. Now, it depends how we look at it, doesn't it? Because you tell that to some people, and some people feel it to be quite scary. Uh, They feel a tad intimidated. But you know, on the other hand, I think the fact that God knows all there is to know, for me, that is massively reassuring. That actually takes a load off my mind and a burden off my heart because it says all that needs to be said. Father knows. And that's what you have right there in verse 1. And you see what David is doing before he goes anywhere. This is the conclusion he reaches, that God knows all there is to know about me. You see what he says down there in verse 1? The thought behind the word searched. He says, O oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. That word searched actually means to explore. It means to examine. It has the idea of digging down deep. It's trying to get to the bottom of something. Now, We're here today, and thankful to God we're here today. We take a look at one another. You may like what you see. You may not like what you see, but that's okay. The truth is, we can only see what is there on the outside. But God's different. He can see beyond the outside, right into the depths of your heart and mine. He scrapes that outside veneer away and he sees what no one else is able to see. He knows what makes us tick, doesn't he? He can look at your life and mine, and he can read us like the proverbial book. God knows. How do I know God knows? Look what he says down there in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Because David sort of amplifies his thinking, doesn't he? And right here, he covers every eventuality in life. And basically, He leaves no stone unturned. Let me put it like this. David is simply saying right here, it doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter how or what we feel. Dot, 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 in your life and mine. You ready for it? God knows all about it. Amazing. Father knows. David is reminding each of us right here that every moment of every day that we live, that every step that we take each mile of the way, David says it, we are surrounded by a God who knows all there is to know about us. He goes before us. He follows behind us. He's right there beside us. I mean, folks, you can't get any better than that, can you? And one of the lessons we learned from the opening stanza is that our God has a profound interest in every one of us because we are his children. He keeps his eye, as it were, on the big picture. Sure he does. But he is also very much aware of the small print on the underside of the document that is your life and mine. Let me put it like this. He knows when you and I go home of an evening, we put the telly on, we catch up in emails, mess around in Facebook as some of us are wont to do. He knows when you're right there on the fast lane heading south on the M74. He knows when you pop into Marx's or Starbucks for a cappuccino and a confab with a friend. I mean, he knows. How do I know that he knows? Because he says it down there in verse 3. Every moment he says, You know where I am. And you know, friends, that is true in those major life changing events that come into your home and into my home. But it's no less a sweet reality when you and I are dealing with the boringly mundane insignificant trivia of every day of our lives. But even more wonderful, not only does he know, but through it all and in it all, what does he want to do? Well, you take a look at verse 5. New Living Translation says, he places his hand of blessing on our head. And you know, folks, when all is said and done, that really is all that matters in your life and mine, isn't it? That not only that God knows all there is to know about us, but that you and I are on the receiving end of the blessing of God which maketh rich. God knows. God will bless us. In fact, we can put it like this, can't we? God knows what you and I will never, ever know. God knows what you and I are not even meant to know. This side of glory... And so, as you take a moment, reflect on recent times, through all the twists and turns on life's tortuous journey, you can say this morning with conviction and gusto, Father knows. In fact, I would add one more word to that statement and affirm that Father knows best. And that's why David is able to exclaim what he does in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to know. Be encouraged, dear friends, today. Father knows. Now, the next paragraph is no less enthralling. And it stretches from verse 7 over the page away down to verse 12. Do you know what it tells me right here? That God's presence is awesome. His presence is awesome. In other words, there's something unavoidable. So what have we discovered so far? Number one, we can't outwit God because God knows all there is to know. And then secondly, right here, number two, we can't outrun God either. You see what the Psalmist is telling us? It doesn't matter where we go. God is there already. That's a punchline down there in verse 7. You can read it like this. The psalmist is saying, you know, I can never get away from your presence. And again, you see what he's doing. He just adds to it, doesn't he? He says, look, folks, you can climb to the summit of the highest mountain, or you can sink like a stone to the depths of the ocean. Or, he says, you can follow the sun when it rises in the east and sets in the west. He says, you can travel from here in Erdry, beyond these shores, to the far-flung corners of the earth. Guess what? North, south, east, west, up or down, the message is our God is already there. Here is the God who knows all there is to know. But here is the very same God who is always there 24-7. And you know, friends, that won't go away, fact today is this, that whether we're here or there or over yonder, the Lord is with us. You and I can never shake him off our trail. You and I are never, ever, even for a fleeting moment, beyond the divine reach, And that means two things for you and me today as David intimates in Psalm 139. Number one, it means that this God will lead us and he'll guide us with his very own hand. And then number two, he will support us and strengthen us. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that as we sit here in church this morning, no matter how we feel or what's going on in our lives right now, we can sink our teeth into those twin promises, and they're down there in verse 10. It says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Isn't that enthralling? These promises for you and me are potentially life-changing Come on, it's easy for all of this stuff to go right over the top of our heads, isn't it? I mean, we think about it, we drool over it, we can feel overwhelmed just by the sheer wonder of it all. But even though we can't explain it, and we can't, don't let that rob you of the joy and the thrill of living in the good of it. Did you see how intimate it all is? He knows us. He leads us. He holds us. Here is the one who keeps our head above water. How do I know? Well, that's what we discover when we take the lid of verses 11 and 12. Let's be honest, folks. We all have those moments, don't we? Those dark hours in the soul. Those moments in your life and mine when, for whatever reason, we feel as if God has maybe forgotten all about us. Those seasons we pass through of sorrow and distress, when you and I can feel enveloped in an inky black darkness. You see what he says? He says, even when I'm there, and even then, he says, the Lord is with us. Now, many of us know that to be a truth in our own experience, don't we? We have proven the reality of it, but don't take my word for it. You go back and read the story of some of the characters in Scripture. There was Daniel in a dead alliance. Well, God gave them lecture, and Daniel's testimony was that God was with them in his hour of great trial. There were the three Hebrew young men, late teens, maybe early 20s. There they were into a flaming, fiery furnace. What was the testimony of the three young men and indeed of the pagan king? There was a fourth in the furnace with them, one like the Son of God. And that's what David is saying right here, isn't it? He says that dark times are light to God. In other words... It makes no difference to God if it's 12 noon or 12 midnight. It makes no difference to Him. No, but He's the one who makes a difference to you and to me. He sees you and I, even though we can't see Him. And the thought that we have right here is that our God, thankfully, is not a fair-weather friend He's with us on those bright, warm, sunny days, those cloudless sky days. He is with us. Sure he is. But look, he's also close by and near us when we find ourselves in the shade and walking in a shadow. His presence is awesome. This is our God. A God who knows all there is to know, but a God who's with us along life's journey. The third stanza begins at verse 13, goes away down as far as verse 18. You see what David is telling us right here, that that God's power is amazing. His power is amazing. You see what the psalmist is doing here? He shines a torchlight, as it were, on the ability of God. And the God that we meet in these half-dozen verses, he's a hands-on God. I mean, he's a God who can do absolutely anything. What have we learned so far? Number one, we can't outwit God because he knows all things. Number two, we can't outrun God because he's all over the place. But right here, number three, we can't outdo God, because He is all-powerful. He is strong. He is omnipotent. Here is a God Solomon reminded us of who can bring something out of nothing. But it's the same God in Ecclesiastes who makes everything beautiful in His time. You know, in the first section, David was pretty much thinking about himself, and that's okay. The second section, he was focusing not on himself, but on the big world out there. See what he's doing right here in the third section? He is looking into the privacy of a mother's womb. And what David sees leaves him spellbound. Now, remember, this fella has a pen of a ready writer. This guy wrote hymns and songs, as it were, psalms. He was fluent in what he was saying. But right here, this fellow is lost for words. He just can't describe his feelings or his emotion. And that's why in verse 14, he just breaks out in praise and worship. He says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In today's climate, today's culture, these words are truly amazing. You know what they do? Here we have a tribute to the skill of a Creator God. Now, we see it in the world around us, don't we? But we see it in the lives of men and women, boys and girls. On a global scale, the truth of the matter is no two of us are alike. I mean, you have your unique DNA and you leave your footprint on the sand of time. And I come along behind you and I leave mine. Somebody said one day, God made me. He threw away the mold. There's only one of me. I don't smile. But there's only one of you as well. And you see what he says right here? Every fiber of our being, it is formed and fashioned by him. That's what he said. Here is the one who knits it all together with a deft touch. The bones, the vital organs, the tissue, the veins, the muscle, the tendons. He says, all of this is woven like a tapestry in a young mother's womb. Now, those who were in the know have told me that you and I have over three trillion cells in our body. No that's a lot of cells. It's a three with twelve zeros after it. Hey, my friends, only God can do that. And you see what he affirms right here? This is so important. From the moment of conception right up to the moment of birth, the God who knows all there is to know, and the God who is everywhere is in full control. He has his hand on that young mother. He has his finger on that unborn child. He knows what's going on inside the darkness of that womb. And when the little one arrives into this world, the psalmist tells me right there in verse 16 that the Lord knows what the future of that person will be. You see, that's what he said, does not he? Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know what that means? It means that God knows what I'll be doing, what you'll be doing this time next week. Never mind this time next year. Only God can do that. And again, dear friends, David, when he contemplates this reality, he is knocked off his feet. He's just bowled over with the reality of it all. He says, these are great truths, said David, They're immensely meaningful. They're exceedingly precious to me. They mean everything to me. That's what keeps David plodding on, isn't it? In fact, David says right here, there are so many of them, even more than the grains of sand on the seashores of the world. He thinks about his God, but to crown it all, the Lord never stops thinking about him. Isn't that beautiful? And even when he wakes up in the morning, the same is true for you and for me, the Lord is still with us. And we see his power in our weakness, moment by moment. And the reminder we have right here is that nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too hard for him. His power is amazing. And then the final stanza, last few verses, spanning verses 19 to 24, that's where we discover that His purity is astounding. His purity is astounding. There's something humbling about it, isn't there? We can't outwit Him. We can't outrun Him. We certainly can't outdo Him. Well, right here at the end of the psalm, we can't outshine Him either. Because here is the God about whom we were singing earlier. One who is dazzling in His holiness. In fact, when you read these verses at the end of the psalm, it's almost an anticlimax, isn't it? But the fact of the matter is. And I love this about David. He is facing reality head on. This guy hasn't buried his head in the sand, even though he's had a vision of how amazingly awesome his God is. He is infinite, said the psalmist. He knows that he lives in the real world, and he knows a thing or two or three about the old enemy. And so he tells it like it is. I mean, David calls a spade a spade. And when you read what he says down there in verse 19 through verse 22, I'm sure there have been moments in your life, as there have been in mine, when we have felt just like him, haven't we? Do we not wish the Lord would intervene in people's lives? Do we not long for the day when God would step into a situation and turn it right side up? Do we never pray for God to work a miracle and to stem the tide of evil sweeping across our land? Do we not get hot under the collar when we see injustice in one form or another? Hey, do we not cringe when we hear that precious name of Jesus dragged yet again into the gutter? Are we not heartbroken when we read of lives being lost For whatever reason, that's what David is saying right there. Having caught a glimpse of how great, how good God is, the bottom line is down there in verse 22 when we read the New Living Translation your enemies are my enemies. In other words, we can sit on the fence when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's no place for being neutral when it comes to following Jesus and embracing biblical standards. There's no way we can opt out when it comes to raising the flag for personal holiness, and that's what David is saying right there, isn't it? That's where it gets very personal in the final two verses. He scratches where we're etching, because here is a psalmist's all-consuming passion. He says, in light of all that I know about God, of all I've seen of God, he said, search me. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. David says, look, guys, when you've got a glimpse of the greatness of God. Take a long hard look before the cross at your own heart and life. Because God's holiness not only impacts on those who were wicked it leaves an indelible impression on your heart and mine as well. And basically right here, David wants to be the person God intends him to be. He wants to find his potential realized in a closer walk with his God. That's why he says, Search me, O God. You see, David knows full well, doesn't he, that if he's going to influence his generation for God, then it's got to be a man after God's own heart. It was the saintly Robert Murray McShane who noted that a holy man is an awesome weapon in the hand of a holy God. Not long after that, Mr. McShane, up the road in Dundee, cried from the depths of his heart. He said, Lord, make me as holy as it is possible for a saved sinner to be. That should be our prayer this morning, having caught a vision, a glimpse of how great is our God. He is infinite, but is intimate. Small man, says David, big God, and we worship him. Amen.